Major support for this podcast comes from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, conserving our wild things and wild places for over 25 years. We receive additional support from the Sportfish Restoration Program, funding sportfish conservation and restoration in Texas. Ah, dang it! Is that a fish? Yes. She was right in that foam line. Courtney and Brandon Robinson love to fish the South Llano River. We have kind of two branches of the river converging right here. They're fly fishing for Guadalupe bass. And they're just two of the folks you'll meet in the podcast, which is a fish tale of passion for the clear running streams of the Texas Hill Country from people who love those rivers and that fish. Stay with us. From Texas Parks and Wildlife, this is Under the Texas Sky, a podcast about nature and people and the connection they share. I'm Cecilia Nasty. The Guadalupe bass is a feisty little fish that makes its home in the cool, clear-running waters of hill country streams and rivers. It's the state fish of Texas, and Courtney and Brandon Robinson fish for it whenever they can. We're not looking at a whole bunch of deep pools. It's more shallow water, skinny water. Fish on. This is why I love catching quads. They're little fish, but they use the river to fight. The Guadalupe bass gets its name from the Guadalupe River, a stronghold stream for this Lone Star native, which the legislature dubbed the state fish of Texas in 1989. Catching guads hasn't always been easy. It's taken decades and a whole lot of dedicated work. Yet today, our state fish is coming back. What's more, the beautiful rivers it lives in have a new army of passionate advocates, people working to keep our waters clean and healthy. Tom Harvey reels out our story. Why do some people love to fish so much? And if I don't fish, why should I care? Well, there are lots of reasons, actually. In the case of the Guadalupe bass, this fish is moving people to save our rivers. And rivers are the lifeblood of Texas. They bring the water to fill our reservoirs for people in cities, for farmers and ranchers, for jobs and businesses and for wildlife and wild things. Every living thing needs clean water, and the little Guadalupe bass helps keep the good stuff flowing. Um, so we're going to see little bass in the shoals area, like in that little rapids area over there. There, there we go. <laughs> Just a little guy. There are bigger fish to catch for sure, but this one is special, and some anglers just go gaga to catch them. To learn why, I drove up to Round Rock, north of Austin, where Chris Johnson owns a store called Living Waters Fly Fishing. Chris is also a fly fishing guide. I don't like to fish. I love to fish. For me, fishing is just a way of life. I mean, it, it is what I do when I work. It's what I do on my days off. It's what I'm thinking about in between then, and I love to do it. I actually used to tournament bass fish. Uh, when, I, when I graduated high school, I took all my yard mowing money and got a ranger bass boat. That's the first thing I did. And I wanted to go fish tournaments and run lakes and do all that sort of stuff. And uh, it was fun, but my heart was still on the river. Uh, I love moving water. I like being in a place where I can sight fish. We're really blessed in Central Texas because we can literally chase everything. We have largemouth bass, Guadalupe bass, a wide array of sunfish. We have the really popular Rio Grande cichlid, uh, which is the only native cichlid species in the entire U.S. And we've got them all throughout the hill country. And so we have people now coming to the fly shop that are 
targeting that fish from all across the nation uh, just because they see it on social media now. I can post a 40-inch king salmon from Alaska, and then I'll post a 10-inch cichlid, and I'll tell you which one I'll get more comments and likes on. Just five minutes from the fly shop is Brushy Creek, a beautiful spring-fed stream that flows past city streets and country lanes. We roll into a little city park on the creek, and there, at a low water crossing where clear water rushes over the road, is a guy on the bank fly fishing. It's 84-year-old Pat Blessing from nearby Pflugerville. How'd it fish? I was trying one of your crayfish jobs, <laughs> and uh, it's in the tree. It's in the trees? It's in the tree. Brushy Creek comes by its name honestly. But that's... Uh, you know, that's the way you learn to tie a fly anyhow. Is you're supposed to tie one, hang it in a tree, and go tie another one. So that's... Uh... Even here, in urban Round Rock, a mile from the freeway noise of Interstate 35, there are Guadalupe bass swimming in Brushy Creek. The Guadalupe bass, I feel, is really one of the Texas treasures, if you will. You know, a lot of people know what our state flower is. A lot of people know what our state bird is. But when you ask people what the state fish is, a lot of times you're going to get blank stares or questions or things of that sort. And uh, the Guadalupe bass is very unique in the fact that it only exists in the hill country of Texas. That's the only place that it is, is right in the middle of the state. The fish is aggressive. It's got a great personality as far as fish goes. Uh, if it wants your fly, if it wants your lure, there's no way you're going to get it away from it. They are just entirely aggressive. Uh, I've watched them kill stuff just for fun. Uh, they, they really wake up every morning of their life in a bad mood. And that's a great thing for a fish uh, that you want to chase with a fly rod. And they're beautiful. The markings are unique. The, they're very special. They look like Texas. When I think hill country, I think the Guadalupe bass. Yet it wasn't long ago that our state fish was in trouble. In the 1970s, state biologists stocked non-native smallmouth bass in Texas rivers. But they didn't expect the smallmouths would crossbreed with native fish. They did, producing hybrid offspring that were no longer pure Guadalupe bass. And by the 1980s, our state fish seemed headed for extinction. We're here on the South Atlanta River and we're electrofishing Guadalupe bass. There's some fish in there. See how the population here that we've been working on in the last few years is doing. It's been a heavy lift, but it's not just about one species. Efforts to bring back the Guadalupe bass have helped many other wild things. Guadalupe bass is sort of representative of that whole set of species. And some of those are, are considered imperiled. They may, may only occur in one river and nowhere else in the world. And it's a little bit more difficult to get enthusiasm around conserving a minnow or conserving um, an imperiled freshwater mussel, but what's good for Guadalupe bass is generally good for those other species. Tim Birdsong once played pro baseball for the Cincinnati Reds from 1998 to 2001, but he hung up his glove to go back to school for a graduate degree in fisheries biology. Today he leads Texas parks and wildlife efforts to restore and protect river watersheds for fish, wildlife, and people. He describes how they came up with a simple yet novel approach to save the state fish. We would just stock so many pure Guadalupe bass that hopefully those numbers would just 
flood the system and you would be left with a higher percentage of guads that remain and persist compared to hybrids and smallmouth. And, and that was really successful over, over a 20 year period. Here we go. It's a large one there. From 1990s through roughly 2010, almost a million Guadalupe bass were stocked in, in the river and it drove down the hybridization rates dramatically. After the Guadalupe River, the team focused on the South Llano River near Junction. Here they found a big opportunity. They could work with a river that was more pristine to restore it and rally people around it while the river was still in great shape. When you get to the South Llano, there's literally nothing out there. I mean, you float that river and it's you and the fish and the birds and that's it. And it is also a spring-fed river as well. And it, it the, the water color can differ. It can be really clear. Sometimes it kind of has a little bluish tint to it. Um, it it's just amazing. Uh, if, you've, if you've never been on that river and anybody's ever considered it, it's a must-do. Good size squad. <laughs> nice. That's why the Llano River is such a great river to fish, because these fish are here. I remember our very first paddle trip. We put in at the Llano Springs Ranch and paddled downstream. Uh, spent the entire day on the river, just all these different organizations talking about what could be accomplished and just trying to develop a shared vision for where we could go and implement this this collaborative, collaborative stewardship approach. And it was just really a perfect storm of events that occurred. Besides stocking fish, they planted along the stream side, working with landowners who own the river banks to reduce erosion and improve water quality. So in a really short amount of time, we implemented close to 10,000 acres of habitat restoration projects. We stocked over 700,000 Guadalupe bass in that system. We, by 2018, had achieved our genetic restoration target for Guadalupe bass. Uh, we had also just really moved the needle on habitat restoration. So we, we implemented real similar approaches in the Pertinalis River watershed, the Blanco River watershed, and just kind of continue to now progress across other focal watersheds in the hill country. And every time we step into a new sub-watershed, we continue to find very willing partners and a lot of interest. And it's almost as if we just can't move forward quick enough. What's good for fish is good for people, too. It all comes back to conserving rivers, the natural and economic lifeblood of the Lone Star State. Texas has moved from a, a rural state to this decidedly urban state, and with that comes a whole new set of strategies to try to maintain uh, the health of these, of these natural systems. And we're just starting to see this really strong interest in, and participation in river-based recreation. And rivers more so than just about any other landscape are, are affected by what's happening in the uplands and what's happening around them. The health of these streams is going to be dictated by the management actions that we implement on the land. For sure, conserving our land and water is important. But for a lot of people, it's just about the pure joy of being outdoors, the peace of mind that brings, and the fun of casting a fly rod more and more people are finding out the water's fine. 
Pigbrushy Creek, all the parks up and down it. Uh, the San Gabriel River, same story through Georgetown. There's parks all up and down it. Those are places that, you know, people go on the weekends with their kids and grab a picnic basket or they'll grab a fishing rod. They go down there and they use it as a recreation center and as a place just to, you know, blow off steam and be with the family. There's playgrounds and everything. Uh, and that's the part that, you know, if there wasn't a river running through it, in many cases, it wouldn't be a park. And then if that river was dry or mossy or stank or anything like that, people wouldn't go. And that's the important part for me is to make sure that we're fighting to keep something beautiful for the sake of the fish, but also for the sake of the community at large. It's just the right thing to do. At the end of the day, lovers will always work harder than workers. And if you love what you're doing and you love what you're about and you love your, you love your fish, you love your water, you love your state, you love the, the ground that it flows through, then you're going to fight to protect it. I want my kids to catch Guadalupe bass. I want my kids' kids to catch Guadalupe bass. And I want them to be able to do it in the same places that I do. And so all we've done is we've done the rivers a favor by creating an army of conservationists that are in it for the love of the fish and just the enjoyment that it gives them. And that's the part where giving back matters more now than ever. If you want to learn more about the Guadalupe bass, you can find information on the Texas Parks and Wildlife website. Better yet, get out to one of our beautiful hill country rivers and cast for this feisty state fish of Texas. This is Under the Texas Sky from Texas Parks and Wildlife. I'm Cecilia Nasty with a quote from American essayist, poet, and naturalist Henry David Thoreau. He said, Many men go fishing all their lives without knowing that it is not fish they are after. That's one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite quote or poem about the outdoors? Share it with us at underthetexassky.org. Support from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation allows us to bring you stories from under the Texas sky. In fact, since 1991, the foundation has raised more than $190 million to conserve the lands, waters, and wildlife of our state. You can help by becoming a member. Find out how at wewillnotbetamed.org. Earlier in the podcast, we waded into the waters of the South Llano River with Courtney and Brandon Robinson as they fished for Guadalupe Bass, the state fish of Texas. We have a park named for the river, and that's where we're headed next. When you visit a Texas state park and have the good fortune to meet one of our uniformed park personnel, have you ever wondered, do any of them actually live here? fact is, it's not uncommon for state park managers to live on site. Abe Moore, one of my colleagues from the award-winning Texas Parks and Wildlife television series, wondered what it would be like if your home sweet home was a Texas state park. I did a story at Southland River State Park a while ago. The main draw is probably the river, which is why it gets its namesake. And I met the park manager here, Scott Whitener. And even though you can be sitting in the campground with 50 other campers, you only walk 100 yards and you're going to be all alone in the woods. And his passion and energy was just amazing. And I just thought, what a character. He lives here at the state park. He works here. He plays here. So I thought he might be just a fun story. So that's what we're doing. It is uh, 7.45 a.m. Uh, and it's uh, time to go to work. Scott's the kind of guy that would be right at home in the pages of any outdoor catalog. 
leaving home and open the gate. I think I can count the paces about about 25 feet. And we're at work. <laughs> the park's headquarters is an old ranch house. Morning, Regina. And Scott manages a staff of seven to nine folks, depending on the time of year. Open the office up so we can start getting everybody checked in. How you doing, sir? Good, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Have a reservation. All right. You gotta make sure you're there for, for your people. Sometimes that means I'm the front desk guy. Last week it was uh, when I got a sick, a sick employee, I'm the only one here. Doesn't matter how busy or slow it is, you still gotta serve people that walk through the door. So would you prefer something on the back side? Uh, like over here where the bird blinds are? Yeah. Okay. Let me see if I can move you somewhere over there. I'm surprised you're not a birder, Scott. How come? I didn't start out a birder. I've learned more about birds in the two years I've been here than I think I knew for my first 43 years of life. And uh, I learned the hard way by thinking that certain birds were not real. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, somebody said that we had a yellow-billed cuckoo, and I said, nah, that's not a real bird. <laughs> and uh, and then they showed me on the list and showed me the pictures of the yellow-billed cuckoo and said, you're an idiot. <laughs> Scott's road to South Atlanta River State Park was a windy one. Well, I moved to Austin when I was 19, I guess. I finally got a job on an Alaskan fishing boat. Went to Lake Tahoe, trim all the trees on these forest roads a job working on an organic farm in upstate New York. Drive cross country and hit a bunch of national parks and spent three months traveling around in Guatemala by myself. Kind of all building up to one thing, which was I'm gonna have to figure out something eventually that I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And I did all this before I turned 30. He eventually went back to college, got a degree and started teaching. I've taught kids with autism, cerebral palsy, and uh, I won Teacher of the Year. You did? <laughs> yeah. Won Teacher of the Year, and then the next year I quit because of stress. So at 39, he took a $9 an hour seasonal clerk position at Enchanted Rock State Natural Area. Literally the day I started Enchanted Rock, it was like, I want to know how you're doing this, and I want to learn every aspect of how this works. My former supervisor just said, you know, Scott, this isn't rocket science. It's about how you deal with people. I stopped letting all the technical stuff get to me and started, well, yeah, I can work with people. <laughs> so we're walking towards the camping loop where everybody's down in this one little section of the park uh, of 58 some odd campsites. And who's the dog? The dog is Lulu. Lulu, the wonder dog. Lulu. Say hi. Say hi. Kind of my nightly thing is just to uh, take the dog. Gives me an excuse not only to walk the dog, but to check on uh, people that are staying with us. Oh, Steve. What's going on, Steve? Okay. How are you, sir? All right. Welcome back. Good to well, see you. Well, welcome back, dear. So We're good glad to, to see you. Back. Karen and Stephen Grasty. They're oh, right. veteran park hosts. Veteran, huh? Veteran, by all means. A little experience under our belt. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. So tell me, for someone that's new to this park, what's this park like? It's fantastic. Fantastic park. 
beautiful beautiful in the spring, spring when the birds start coming back and all that it's, it's beautiful and we've got some deer coming in you know in and out so oh yeah <laughs> we'll all right thank you for your time <laughs> bye y'all nice to meet you we'll see you later welcome home nature calls to scott lulu hey that's a big one and on this walk, it calls to Lulu, too. You know, this is the worst part about walking the dog and having to follow your own rules. <laughs> That's a big one. Out of that little dog, I'm telling you, man. This dog is regular. <laughs> Nasty. Nasty. And tonight, even after a quick dog walk, there's still enough time to get in a bike ride. But it takes 10 seconds to get to the trailhead from the back door. That's one of those nice things about living in the park. <laughs> That's how far I have to go to get on the trail. Is this the way to your favorite spot? Oh, absolutely. As soon as we uh, pass one trail, you're in my favorite spot, I'd say. Really? <laughs> These trails twist and turn and seem to go for miles. You know, if you got 18, 19 miles of trail in the backcountry, you rarely see a person, which is what it's all about. Which is good for Scott. He needs the miles to prep for ultra marathons. I guess you're not training now, are you, or you are? Uh, I guess you're always training. You're just training to finish. <laughs> People ask me before, it's like, so how does it feel running 50 miles? And, well, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. I will admit, I've never come in dead last, but uh, I will always finish. It just might not be pretty. <laughs> and as the sun sets on my visit, we finally arrive at one of Scott's favorite spots. How far, if you wanted to do the primitive, would you have to walk to get back here? A mile, um, mile and a half? Two. A little over a mile and a half. Yeah. I always tell people to do bike-in camping. If you can fit a backpack with a tent on your back, ride everything in. It's much faster. Most people look at primitive as like the afterthought because they couldn't get anything else that was more convenient. And uh, I would say this would be my ideal campsite. It's pretty peaceful back here. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, this is the perfect bike-in camp spot. Yeah. I don't want to tell anybody. The wonderful thing about Southland River State Park and why people should care about this place, uh, it's you can go to the river and I think that's what people think is the draw. They don't think about the other 2,100 acres that's back there that is just waiting to just be tapped into. That's what's so special about it because there is space to be had out here and uh, it's solitude. And to me, that's, that's nature. Want to experience the peace and solitude that Scott's talking about? Then check out the South Llano River State Park page on the Texas Parks and Wildlife website and learn about all the park has to offer. And make your camping reservations online, too. Meanwhile, I hope you'll have no reservations when it comes to contacting us at underthetexasky.org to share your feedback, story ideas, or your shout-out to the wild, like my friend Doretta Conrad of Round Rock, Texas did. Hi there, I'm Doretta Conrad from Round Rock, Texas. I'm a local artist who makes handmade natural stone jewelry. And I'd like to send a shout out to the wild about the South Llano River State Park. We found this lovely state park while on one of our road trips recently. 
This beautiful park is on the South Llano River, as you can tell by the name of the park. But what impressed me the most about this state park is its birding area. They have well-marked trails with a variety of viewing stations. And I also found that the state park rangers know a whole lot about birding, and they're very helpful in helping you to determine what birds are in the area when you're there and when you should come back to see birds when they are migrating through. It's very cool, and I very much enjoyed it. I plan to go back, and you should plan to go check it out. Be like Doretta Conrad of Round Rock, Texas, and tell us what you love about the Texas outdoors, whether it's spending time at our state parks, natural areas, being on the water, boating or fishing, or doing some wildlife viewing, whatever it is. Go to underthetexasky.org and tell us your story. We'll be in touch. And so we come to the end of another podcast. Under the Texas Sky is a production of Texas Parks and Wildlife and is available at underthetexasky.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Tom Harvey for enlightening us about the state fish of Texas, the Guadalupe bass, and to Abe Moore for his Day in the Life segment about what it's like to live at a Texas state park. We record our podcast at the Block House in Austin, Texas. Joel Block does our sound design. I'm your producer and host, Cecilia Nasty, reminding you that life's better outside when you're under the Texas sky. Major support for this podcast comes from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, conserving our wild things and wild places for over 25 years. We receive additional support from the Sport Fish Restoration Program, funding sport fish conservation and restoration in Texas. Join us again next time for Under the Texas Sky. Ah, uh, dang it. Is that a fish? Yes. 